Uh, last week we started a series, a Christmas series, examining the lives of the cast of characters that appear in the Christmas story. We began last week with Mary. If you missed that, um, it probably is available on the table. Yes, it is. It's available in CD form over on the table or maybe even online if you can go to our website and download it as a podcast. But we began with, with Mary because she was the leading lady, really, of the Christmas story. And this morning I want to continue with someone that you might think would be the leading man of the story. Uh, he's not really the leading man. The leading man of the story, obviously, is God, God the Son. But he's definitely a supporting character with a main role in the story. His name is Joseph. Joe was an important, even vital part of the story, a role to play that, you know, out of all the other characters is really quite unique. I don't know whether you really realize it, but when you think of the, of the Christmas story as like a pageant, like a play, Joseph would be the only main character on the floor that doesn't get a line in the story. It's really kind of strange. He's, he's like a silent member of the cast. The angels, they bring greetings. Mary sings a praise song. Wise men come and worship. Shepherds go and preach. But Joseph is kind of silent. No notable lines are attributed to him. No sound bites. No quotes, just silence. Despite this, Joseph is irreplaceable in the story of Jesus' birth. There was a Sunday school class that was putting on a Christmas pageant, which included the story of Mary and Joseph coming to the inn. One young boy wanted so very, very much to play the part of Joseph. But when the parts were handed out, he didn't get the part that he wanted. That part was assigned to someone he didn't even like. He was assigned the part of the innkeeper instead. He was pretty upset about it, but he didn't say anything to the director. During all the rehearsals, he thought, he thought, what, what, what can I do the night of the performance to get even with this person he didn't like that got cast in the part he wanted? Finally, the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph come walking across the stage, and they knock on the door of the inn, and the innkeeper opens the door and asks them gruffly, well, what do you want? And Joseph answers, well, we'd like to have a room for the night. Suddenly, the innkeeper threw the door open wide and said, great, come on in, I'll give you the best room in the house. For a few seconds, poor little Joseph didn't know what to do. But thinking quickly on his feet, he looked inside the door past the innkeeper and said, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this. Come on, Mary, we're going out to the barn. Once again, the play was back on track. Well, that may not be exactly how it happened, but, you know, Joseph's actual story is told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25, uh, part of what Stacy read this morning. I believe that we can learn something from Joe. So let's turn to Matthew. Turn with me. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to read out of the NIV this morning. And this is kind of the story of the actual birth, so to speak. In Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, it says this, This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be child through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. 
All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. I don't know if you can imagine what it'd be like to, to walk in Joseph's shoes. I've had a few curveballs thrown at me in my life, but this is a curveball I'm not sure I would have known how to catch, especially as a young man. He is a unique character, and even though he doesn't really have any lines in the play, he has a lot to speak to us by his actions. So let's stop and let's pray, and let's ask God to teach us this morning from his life. Heavenly Father, I know you picked Joseph for a reason. Scriptures say he's a righteous man. That means he was a man that was right with you. And if nothing else that we hear this morning, Father, let us hear that. Because in his actions, he speaks loud and clear. Father, I pray that your word would speak to us this morning and that we would receive it and that we would actually put it into action in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew tells us that Joseph was a carpenter. We don't get a lot of background on, on Joseph. In fact, the backstory for Joseph is pretty much missing. But in those days, the job of a carpenter was to plan and to build homes, to manufacture household furniture, and to construct tools, in particular agricultural tools, because it was basically an agricultural society. If Joseph resembled the pious, hardworking class of his Jewish colleagues, which he probably did, he was a righteous man according to Scripture, he probably wouldn't have even considered getting married until he was at least 25 years old, wanting to build a reputation and be able to supply, provide for a family. Marriages in those days were usually negotiated between the parents. There was a legal contract, and it was worked out probably between Mary and Joseph's parents, and once the contract was signed, though, the couple was officially betrothed to one another, and to get out of it would be like divorcing someone. Not much different. I remember when I first uh, talked about getting married to my wife, I told her that, you know, if we get engaged, that's it. There's no backing out, okay? Once you're engaged, there's no backing out because I look at it the same way that the Jews did, okay? You got me? Tough. You're stuck with me now. So if you say yes to the engagement, it's all over. Good luck. I still got married. I know. She still took me, which is really quite amazing. I did say that too. Yeah. It's like, we're not, if we get engaged, it's not going to, you know, it's going to end in a marriage. Although many of these arranged marriages were planned really from childhood, the betrothed period lasted still for a year. No matter how old they were, it still lasted for a year. Basically, you had a one year engagement, during which time the, the groom would usually build a house. For his new bride, as a carpenter, Joseph probably had a wonderful home planned for Mary. During their betrothal, I'm sure the temptation to sleep together was strong. And in today's culture, it would probably have been accepted, even expected. But in the Hebrew culture, it was dishonorable to have sex before marriage. The Bible teaches that sex is precious, that God created it to fully be experienced only within the bonds of marriage. So even though they were engaged, 
probably committed and, and loving one another, Joseph seriously kept his hands to himself. And that is what Scripture tells us about him. So you can imagine uh, Joseph's shock, his anguish, when Mary tells him that she's with child. Now, the Bible doesn't actually reveal Mary's conversation with Joseph, but I think it's pretty safe to assume it didn't go very well. He was no doubt brokenhearted, no doubt frustrated and angry, feeling betrayed. I'm pretty sure he probably loved Mary. Most arranged marriages were still things that they knew about long before they happened and had plenty of time to get to know one another. But here she is, she's pregnant with somebody else's child. Her explanation is off the charts, out of the park, weird. It even bordered on being blasphemous, something against God. If Joseph said that the baby was his, it would be a lie. And if he accused Mary of unfaithfulness, then she would be stoned to death at the city gate, and he didn't want that. He probably would never trust her again, but he couldn't bear to see her humiliated, definitely would not want to see her hurt, much less killed. So Joseph finds himself in a dilemma. Ever been hurt by somebody that you love? Ever felt like your whole world just got turned upside down, that the whole foundation of your life just got crumbled out from underneath you and you don't know what to do? Someone hurts you, what do you do? Do you lash out in anger? Do you hold it all in and become bitter, broken on the inside? Or do you choose mercy and forgiveness? You see, life is about choices. Actually, I think life is choices. We have choices that we we make every day, decisions we make every day. Do I do more overtime at work or spend time with my family? Do I stop on the, the red or I speed up to get through the yellow light? Do I use cash or credit, paper or plastic? You know, some, some decisions are simple, but others' decisions are not. They can affect the course of your entire life. When you reach a crossroad in your life, how do you choose which path to take? Author Max Lucado said, if there are a thousand steps between us and God, he will take all but one. He will leave the final one for us because it is our choice. For most of us, like Joseph, the decisions we make depend on how we see God, what our relationship with God is like. Specifically, do we believe in and trust in the goodness of God? If we do, then our choices become much simpler. We make choices that reflect the heart of God. And I believe that's what Joseph did. Because Joseph was a righteous man. He was right with God. Despite her impossible story of a divine conception, despite the pain and disgrace that she had caused him, Joseph loved God. Because he loved God, he loved Mary. And even though he was probably hurt by this, he didn't want to hurt her in return. He showed compassion in the midst of all of his pain. The Bible says, Joseph, her fiancé, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement 
quietly. When faced with the most important decision of his life, he chose compassion. Perhaps at that point, Joseph thought, well, this is over. This is the end of it. But that's not the end of the story. Because in the next scene of the story, Joseph is, is confronted with a decision to make, yet another decision to make. In verse 20, Joseph has a dream. It says this, but after he considered this, this being putting, away, uh, putting Mary away quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And in a dream, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That night, God gave Joseph a glimpse of his divine plan for mankind. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us this part, but it, it does tell us that Joseph was a good man, a righteous man. And that being right with God, I can imagine him on his knees before he goes to sleep talking to God, saying, God, why? Why? Why would she do this? Why does it hurt so bad? What did I do to deserve this? How many times have you prayed that prayer? God, what did I do to deserve this? Mm -hmm. Those of you that aren't raising your hands, you're lying. <laughs> you know, we want life to be fair, don't we? We really, seriously, we want life to be fair. Or at least we want to think that life is fair. But life isn't fair. And God doesn't play by our rules of right and wrong. And thank God that he doesn't. If life were really fair, we'd all be in really big trouble. You know that, right? We've all done enough wrong to go straight to hell. No passing go, no collecting any mercy at all. But God doesn't play fair. God simply loves. He sends his infant son into a world that will reject him and murder him just so that we can live forever in God's presence. Not fair. Not fair at all. God works on a different plane. Still, that doesn't stop us from asking God what's going on when we think that life is not fair, when we think that life sort of missed the abundant thing that we were promised. More than anything, that night, Joseph needed to hear from God. He needed to connect with God. I don't know, can you relate to that? You know, in the midst of the hard things, Sometimes we even ask the question, God, are you even here? Maybe you just need comfort. Maybe you need his assurance of his presence. Whatever the reason, I think we all experience moments where we just need to hear from God. I don't think the problem is that God isn't speaking to us. I think the problem is most of the time we're not really being quiet enough to hear. We're not really listening. I think one of the most valuable lessons that we can learn from Joseph is the lesson of listening to God. In the midst of our complex, hectic, sometimes disturbing life, there's nothing more rewarding than hearing the voice of God. I can testify to that at 60 miles an hour going down the freeway and hearing God speak to me in my helmet as I got into an accident and 
was going to hit the pavement. What I needed to hear most in that moment was what God spoke to me. It's important that we hear. It's important that we know that he's speaking. I believe that God speaks just as powerfully today as he did in Joseph's time. The youth group and I have been studying the life of the prophet Daniel from the Old Testament. Daniel heard from God in dreams and visions, and he interpreted dreams and visions of other people. In fact, God has used dreams and visions throughout our history. From Genesis to Revelations, it's one of the primary ways that God has spoken to his people, both Old and New Testament. God is still speaking, and there is no indication at all in Scripture that he has stopped using dreams and visions to talk to his people. Personally, I believe that he uses whatever is necessary to get our attention. In fact, through the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. I think I qualify for the old men now. And your young men will see visions, dreams, folks, and visions are promised from God. They're not just a possibility. They are promised from God. If we believe the Bible, then we have to believe that God still speaks and then He still does so through dreams and visions. His voice wants to be heard. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever gone to bed at night and asked God to speak to you through a dream? Did He, did he give you a dream? He solved the problem. Okay. You know what? God does speak to us through dreams. One of the things that, that uh, at Bethel Church in, in Reading, they built a prayer house on the campus up there. It is, it's a beautiful kind of serene thing, and you can go in it. There's soft music playing in the background, and there's people all around. It's like a big circular room that's all glass, and it looks out on this beautiful garden and fountains and all this kind of stuff. It's really quite a, a, a gorgeous place and a really serene place just to go sit and connect with God. One of the things that they do, they encourage people to take a nap so that they can dream in this house and hear from God. It's not just about going to the house to pray to God. It's going to the house to get something from God as well, to hear His voice. We spend a lot of time in prayer talking. We don't spend near enough time listening. Try it sometime. Try it sometime. It's worth the effort. Just ask God to speak to you. I believe He's speaking all the time. I just don't think we listen very well. And even when he does speak, sometimes I wonder if we're really willing to do what he says. Do we have the courage, the discipline to do what he asks us to do? Joseph did. I think it's one of the great things about the life of Joseph. He heard from God, and then he obeyed God. I think that may be the most important message that the life of Joseph has to speak to us today. Joseph was just a normal guy, folks, a blue-collar worker, a tradesman, a carpenter. No one of any import or significance necessarily. But God has a habit of turning the mundane into the miraculous, the ordinary into the extraordinary. All he requires is a willing heart. And he finds that in Joseph. Now, I don't know if Joseph sat on the edge of his bed in amazement when the angel appeared. 
or if he flew out the door so fast that he forgot to tie his sandals. But one way or another, he found his way to Mary's door, perhaps with flowers in one hand and, and a ring in the other. I don't know. I mean, how did it work back then? I'm not really sure. But the Bible says in verse 24, when Joseph woke up, that he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. He had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and then he gave him the name Jesus. The key phrase here is, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. When God spoke, Joseph heard. When God speaks, do we listen? Or maybe you haven't even heard God's whisper, and you need to hear from him. You know, how do you do that? Well, like I said, you know, dreams are a wonderful way. There's a more immediate way. Open the word of God. Open the word of God. God will speak to you through his word. That's what it's there for. It's there to help you connect with him. You don't have to fall asleep to do it. Not that some of you wouldn't fall asleep doing it, okay? But you don't have to fall asleep to connect with God. You don't have to dream. You just have to open the word of God and let him speak to you. The Bible is filled with what God wants for our life, who he is for us, what he expects of us. It has a bunch of guidelines and commands for our life. Commands like love one another, forgive one another, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Teach one another, serve one another. God has a lot to say to us if we will listen. But most of God's commands, even though they're, they're simple, go unheeded. We may hear them, we may read them, but do we follow them? Do we become like Joseph? For Joseph to marry his bride wasn't all that difficult, but it still changed his life forever. He became a dad to, well, no ordinary boy. Now, I can't imagine that that was easy. I can't even imagine the concept of that being easy. I've raised two daughters of my own, and although that was a delight and, and one of the best times of my life to raise those girls, it wasn't easy. Even though they were girls, it wasn't easy. I can't imagine what it would have been like to know that you were guiding, leading, teaching God himself. That must have been a heavy burden to carry. God, what if I get it wrong? Last week, Janet and I got away for a couple of days. We went to Temecula, California for a little rest and relaxation that we needed. And while we were there, we did a little window shopping in what's called Old Town Temecula. There was this one shop that was called The Farmer's Wife's Mercantile. Yeah, kind of, you know, an artsy, craftsy kind of uh, stuff you'd find in, in a country home, okay? It was a great shop, but the best part was that the owners and the workers there were believers. So tossed in among all the Christmas decorations that were, sale, were for sale, there were books by Christian authors like Max Lucado, who I quoted earlier. I probably have a dozen or so of Max's books in my library. I think they're amazing. I think they're wonderful. He has a great capacity to place himself in the life of another person and imagine what they were thinking, feeling, why they did what they did. 
I bought this, this book at the store because it had a, a compilation of bits and pieces from probably all the books I already own, okay? But they're all put together in one book that was about Christmas. Uh, that was the, the incentive for me to buy it because when I first opened it, I saw in it characters like Joseph and Mary and the guy I want to do next week, Simeon. And I thought, wow, I want to read this, you know? So I tucked it under my arm and, and I bought it. Max has a story in his book where he inserts himself into the character of Joseph. And I want to share it with you. It's not very long. It's entitled, From One Father to Another. This isn't the way I planned it, God. Not at all. My child being born in a stable? This isn't the way I thought it would be. A cave with sheep and donkeys, hay and straw? My wife giving birth with only the stars to hear her pain? This isn't at all what I imagined. No, I imagined family. I imagined grandmothers. I imagined neighbors clustered outside the door and friends standing at my side. I imagined the house erupting with the first cry of the infant, slaps on the back, loud laughter, jubilation, congratulation. That's how I thought it would be. But now who will celebrate with us? The sheep? The shepherds? The stars? God, this doesn't seem right. What kind of husband am I? I provide no midwife to aid my wife, no bed to rest her back. Her pillow is a blanket from my donkey. Did I miss something? Did I, God? When you sent the angel and spoke of the son being born, this isn't what I pictured. I envisioned Jerusalem, the temple, the priest, the people gathered to watch, the pageant perhaps, a parade. I mean, this is the Messiah. Or... You know, if not born in Jerusalem, well, at least Nazareth. Wouldn't Nazareth have been better? At least there I have my house and my business, God. Out here, what do I have? A weary mule, a stack of firewood, a pot of hot water. This is not the way I wanted it to be. Forgive me for asking, but is this how God enters the world? The coming of the angel. God, I accepted that. The questions people asked about the pregnancy, I tolerated that. The trip to Bethlehem, okay. But why a birth in a stable, God? Any minute now, Mary's going to give birth, not to a child, but to the Messiah, not to an infant, but to God. That's what the angel said. That's what Mary believes. And God, that's what I want to believe. But surely you can understand, it's not easy. It seems so, so so bizarre. I'm unaccustomed to such strangeness. God, I'm a carpenter. I make things fit. I square off the edges. I follow the plumb line. I measure twice before I cut once. Surprises are not the friend of a builder, God. I like to have a plan. I like to see the plan before I begin. But this time I'm not the builder, am I? This time I'm a tool. I'm a hammer a chisel in your grip. This project is yours, not mine. I guess it's foolish of me to question you. Forgive my struggling. Trust doesn't come easy to me, God, but, well, then you never said it would be easy, did you? Oh, just one final thing, Father. The angel you sent? Any chance you could send another? If not an angel, maybe a person. 
I don't know anyone around here. Well, and, you know, some company would be nice. Maybe the innkeeper or a traveler, even a shepherd would do. I think Max kind of captures the heart of Joseph in a very real way. It couldn't have been easy. But then God didn't promise easy. He promised abundance, folks. Life lived to the fullest. And the pathway into abundance is nothing less than obedience. Do you hear that? The path into abundance is nothing less than obedience. What would the story have looked like if Joseph had chosen to move ahead with his plan rather than God's? If he had chosen his way rather than God's way? If he had chosen what kept him safe rather than what would have saved the world? Think about that. There's a big difference between being a hearer of the word and being a doer of the word. There's a big difference between going to church and being the church. But following God's instruction, doing doing life God's way is always the best, and it's always worth it. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. If we obey Christ's teaching and really live life God's way, No matter what it looks like, no matter how the choices seem to stack up, if we will choose his way, if we will choose faithful obedience like Joseph, then God will make his heart in his home in our hearts. Joseph discovered that, I believe, in a very tangible way. He might not have had a speaking role in the Nativity story. But is often the case, his actions speak much louder than words could. The message of Joseph's life really is this. Life is not always easy. Sometimes it's just plain hard, painful, unfair, and confusing. People will let you down. There will be times that you feel hurt, that you'll be angry, that you will be betrayed, and you may not know what to do. But if we will listen, God will speak. Whether it's through His Word, the Bible, or whether it's through a dream or a vision or some other way or means, God will let His voice be heard. From there, it's up to us. It's up to us to believe in His goodness towards us, that He has our best in mind, no matter what the circumstances look like, no matter what the choices in front of us appear to be. It's up to us to then obey, to move the direction that God wants us to move, that we might enjoy the life He has planned for us. And I promise you, folks, it is better according to Scripture than anything that you could think or imagine on your own. When we move, like Joseph did, in obedience to God's direction, then God will show up. And when God shows up, even as he did as an infant in a a manger for Joseph, when God shows up in our life, life will be abundant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
you don't promise easy paths. You promise abundant lives. And our role in that is to seek you with all of our hearts, to hear you when you speak, and to move with you in the path that you choose for us, that we might enjoy the best life possible. Father, that is simply the truth. Give us the courage to do all of those things, the courage to seek you, the courage to hear your voice, and the courage to walk the path you have for us, that we might experience life, not just any life, but your life, your abundant life, Jesus, the one that you promised us, the one that's based on the blood that you shed for us, what you purchased for us. Let us be like Joseph. Let us learn from his life. And let us follow hard after the life you've planned for us. In Jesus' name, amen.